You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents Studio 89.7. This talk program focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. And now, here's your host, Philadelphia radio veteran, Paul Perello. There are legends, and then there are real legends. And I'm happy to say, one of those real legends is sitting next to me here in the studio. The one and only, the geeter with the heater, the boss with the hot sauce, Jerry Blavitt. (laughs) My man. It's so good to see you. Well, let me say something. Growing up in South Philadelphia and knowing you as just a little guy and seeing where you're at right now, I think it's fabulous. Oh, wait a minute, Jerry. I don't know if I was ever a little guy now. <laughs> you're a little guy. All right. I know what you're saying. <laughs> but it's great to be here with you, Paul. I mean, you, you truly, uh, I mean, you know, we lived a wonderful time. I mean, you experienced that South mm-hmm. Philadelphia experience. So yeah. it's it's been a wonderful ride. You know, when you talk about, you know, the streets of South Philadelphia, and, and, and kiddingly, when there are a lot of people that sit in that same chair that have come from South Philadelphia, with Frankie Avalon. And then you talk about Bobby Rydell and you talk about Al 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 Martino. What is it with South Philadelphia that is so special? I got to tell you, that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book. South Philadelphia is made up of parishes and a neighborhood. Uh, Back in the day when you were a kid, we lived in a neighborhood. You knew your neighbors. You knew who they were. Those neighbors were the ones that said, if you did something wrong, if I tell your mother or your father. So that was when America was young. That's when music was young. Rock and roll was young. And America will never be the same. So that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book, to go back and let young people know that once upon a time in America, there were neighborhoods. There was a camarada where you knew everybody in your neighborhood. And that's how I began this book, you see. Kid that grows up in uh, South Philadelphia, uh, you go on to uh, so many great and wonderful things uh, that you document so well in the book. I mean, you talk with, with such clarity about some of these things like it was yesterday. I want to get to the, some of the stories because we talked about, uh, you talk about coming from the neighborhoods. When you grew up in South Philadelphia, there were probably three or four schools uh, in your era and even mine that you could have gone to. And it was either Southern South Philadelphia High School, St. Maria Goretti, St. Maria Goretti or Bishop Newman. Bishop Newman. You went to Bishop Newman just like myself. And I'm reading the book here, and I'm thinking, how could a kid who's in his senior year, I believe, in high school, convince three priests for Bishop Newman to go to New York with him and then sell them on the idea that he's going to become the road manager for Danny and the Juniors, but then also throw in there that he needs three weeks off from school. <laughs> oh, and by the way, I need a hernia operation. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty well, phenomenal. you got, you got to understand something. You know, I began, as you know, as a dancer, 13 years of age. Uh, I began on the Bob Horn show, and when Bob lost the show... Uh, you might remember, it's in the book that Dick Clark took over. And uh, I picketed Dick Clark. uh, And uh, I got arrested. That's in the book. (laughs) (laughs) And Dick came to me before uh, he wanted me to take the picket signs down. And he said, look, you're making $15 a week. We'll double your salary. I said, no, we want Bob Horn back. So I was off bandstand. But Bob Horn's manager, Nat Sigel, had Danny and the Juniors. Mm-hmm. And I was close with Bob and close with Nat. So Nat said, look, you'll become the road manager. So we did the Alan Freed Paramount show right. Christmas time. 
And it was Paul Anka, it was Frankie Lyman, it was Little Richard, it was the Kleptones. It was a terrific show. And what we would do after the show is do all one-nighters, where you would get on a bus and go from town to town. Now, I knew i got to go back to school. You know, you're on your vacation, right. maybe your Christmas vacation. Mm-hmm. But I was very close with the priest at Norbertines because I was on the student council. Right. And I was involved with the dramatic club and all that. Mm-hmm. And I used to take them out to the Yachtsman Club in Philadelphia, pick up their tabs and all that stuff. At the, at, 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 in high school? Yeah. Well, you know, I was with the bookstore, Father O'Brien. I right. Mean, I mean, I had a little racket going even back then. My <laughs> mother would make meatball sandwiches. Right. And I would sell them. To the guys, you know, one guy would volunteer to have a car. We'd pay him for gas, and he'd right. pick you up, and we have six guys going to school. <laughs> so I'd be selling meatball sandwiches, $10 a week. Yeah, and I was sure. making, I was making That's money. That's good money, yeah. I was mm-hmm. making money. So I would take all the priests out. So they loved the Statler Hilton Hotel. So I said to uh, Father Plainy, I said, I'll tell you what. And they loved a restaurant, which was MacArthur's chef called The Headquarters. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a magnificent restaurant. So I figured I got an idea here. Father Coop invited him up, put him over at the Statler Hotel, <laughs> and I broke it to them. I said, you know, Father, you know, and, and they drank a little bit. You know, they were terrific guys. I sure. love these guys. Yeah. You know, I said, uh, you know, I, I have to be out of school for about 26 days. I'm going to be on the road doing one-nighters. And they knew because of the nurse at the school, you know, you have your medical. That's history. right, yeah. That I did have a hernia. So Father Coop, God rest his soul, said, well, you know, a week, but, you know, three weeks. He said, wait. He said, didn't you have a medical problem? <laughs> I said, yeah, Father, I have a hernia. He said, well, maybe it might be time for you at this point to get that repaired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> and that's how I went on the road for three weeks with Chuck Berry and Fat Domino. <laughs> well, growing up in South Philadelphia, Jerry, I mean, and uh, I want to get to the um, uh, the name of the book. For people that are listening right now, they want to know more about this wonderful, uh, iconic broadcaster uh, here from Philadelphia. Jerry Blyvett, The Heater with the Heater. The name of the book is You Only Rock Once. This is a uh, a book that uh, takes us back in time, takes us back to growing up in the streets of uh, South Philadelphia. And when I say growing up in the streets or on the streets of South Philadelphia, you pretty much you did. I mean, but that's how I mean that's where you got your street smarts well, from. You, you don't understand. Uh, as it says in the book, my mother was Italian, my father was Jewish. Mm-hmm. He was a bookmaker. He was a Jewish racketeer back in the day, taking numbers. My house in 1906 South Bancroft Street during the day became a bookie place. So my mother ran away with my father, met him at the Broadway Theater. In those days, to marry out of your religion, okay, she was disowned. My sister was born in 1938. My father was never around, okay. Uh, He did a little time. When he got out, he bought a house, 1906 South Bancroft Street, Mm -hmm. okay. He put the Capuanas and they brought him back in. They accepted because he put him in business, the ice business, the coal business back then. I was born in 1940, and I was raised by St. Monica's, the nuns. Mm-hmm. I went to the day nursery because my father was never around, mm-hmm. and my mother had to go to work as a riveter in the Navy Yard. So at 6 o'clock in the morning, we would get up, and my mother would ship us off to St. Monica's, and she would go to the Navy Yard. So I grew up as a kid not doing what other kids did. Uh, My father taught me the streets, as I say in the book, but my mother taught me love 
and compassion because I saw what she had to go through mm. to keep me and Roberta. And I was a sickly kid back then. I had rheumatic fever. I had a murmur of the heart. I had a atrial septal uh, defect, a mm-hmm. hole in the heart, which I got repaired, by the way, which is also in that sure. book about that. So music then became a part of my life, and I discovered a show called Bandstand mm-hmm. at the age of 13. I snuck into that show because you had to be 14 years of age, and the only reason they didn't throw me out is because I won the dance contest, <laughs> and I started to get fan mail, and I went into another dance contest, and I won that, and Bob Horn and Tony Marmarella said, look, you're a great dancer. You know the kids that dance well. You cannot get into the dance contest any longer. But we're going to make you the head of the dance committee. And you'll get paid $15 a week. you got to be here a half an hour before the show. you got to select the music we're going to play because you got a good ear. Because I was buying records at some rate drugstores. Wow. Back then, they would rate the record. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. So my duties, I'd get there right after school. Bandstand went on at 3.30. I'd be there at 3 o'clock because mm-hmm. we get out at 2.15. That's right. Yeah. Remember, okay? Mm-hmm. And I would meet Tony Bennett, uh, the DeCastro sisters, Perry Como. And in the book, there's great pictures of me with Ramar of the Jungle That's right, yeah. and Bob Horn. It's, it's just an amazing book as far as nostalgia is concerned. And what happened was I meet Sammy Davis, hmm. and I'm jitterbugging. And he sees me jitterbugging because I have to tell Sammy when he's going to go on camera when he's not going to go on camera. So he says to me, man, where did you learn how to jitterbug like that? I said, hey, man, I mean, everybody from South Philadelphia, we jitterbug like that. He said, man, you're like a little white me. <laughs> I said, no, man. I said, I don't know about that. You right. know? <laughs> and we became lifelong friends. And it talks about the fact that back in the day, uh, I found the passion, music. Music has kept me whole. Uh, and the radio show, how we began the radio show, Paul, was quite by accident. Uh, it's in the book. I had gotten off the road with Danny and the Juniors, and I got into a crap game mm-hmm. with the guys from South Philadelphia, the guys that owned the Venus Lounge. And uh, we were shooting dice. I was 19 years of age at that time. Conversation was the Venus Lounge wanted to do a, a radio show, a live broadcast. So one of the guys shooting crap said it sarcastically. Well, talk to Blavitt. He knows everything about show business. <laughs> and I said, wait a second. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll do a radio show. Don Pinto said, you don't know what to do with a radio show. <laughs> now, you got to understand, I was also a promotion man. So I would visit all the radio stations, and I would sit with the jocks back then. So I knew how to get a radio show done on WCAM. Mm-hmm. All you got to do is buy the time. So I said to these guys, I'll tell you what. I got to make my number six. If I make my number to six, Don, you give me the money to do a radio show, and I'll get your radio show. He said, you'll never make your point. Bap, bap, bap. After the third throw, I hit the six. <laughs> he says, holy, if, okay, go ahead, go do a radio show. So I went up to Camden, made a deal, bought an hour's worth of time for $120. He paid for it, mm-hmm. and then I sold 15-minute blocks. I said, it's going to cost you 150 so I was making 30 from him, and I sold 15-minute blocks for $60. So I was making $204. I was in heaven, man. That's right. I was making close to $300 back in that day, okay? Mm -hmm. Snowstorm closes the club. What happens, I own the time with the barter guys, okay? I got to come up with the money. I got the sponsors to do it. That's right. I go up to the station. I'm not going to do interviews. I bring my rock and roll records. Little Richard, Fats Domino, Chuck Berry, Buddy Holly, all of the music that was the real deal, Mm -hmm. okay? 
And I start to play this music on WCAM. Well, the kids are surfing the dial mm -hmm. because of the fact it's snowing. They want to find out if they're going to be school or right. no school. Mm -hmm. I don't get out of the studio till about 2 o'clock in the morning. The snowstorm crippled the city. Meanwhile, the phones are lighting up, and I'm, my man, pots and pans, I'm rhyming, I'm doing things. The rebirth is right there mm -hmm. of where I'm going to go because what happened the kids were listening to this music that I was dancing to when I was a kid, but to them, it was brand new. How about that? It was brand new. It wasn't an oldie to them. It was an oldie to us. Sure. But to these kids, it was new music. They never heard anything like that. I get home, finally get in bed, 10 o'clock in the morning. My wife says, the general manager's on the phone, but hips. <laughs> I get on the phone. He says, what did you do last night? I figured, uh-oh, I'm going to be in trouble. I said, bud, nobody showed up. He said, no, no. He said, we have never had a reaction to a show like this ever, ever. So I decided, man, that's what I'm going to do. And I, I, that's how it began. And that's where the term Geeter with the Heater is also born at WCAM, right? Absolutely. What happened was in those days, the jockeys were the ace from outer space, Jocko. The Rocking Bird, mm -hmm. Joe Niagara, Hot Rod, Lord Fauntleroy. So I came up with, I, gotta, I, I just can't be Jerry Blavitt. So I said, but this is insane. I'm all the way at the end of the dial, and I got these kids. I, I got them. What makes sense? Wait, Florida. An alligator lays in the mud. It doesn't bother you, except if you go close, snatches you up. That's it. I snatched these kids once they got listening to me. Mm -hmm. So I said... Alligator? No, it can't be alligator. Alligator? No, no, God, no, no. Oh, wait. What rhymes? Geeter. A geeter. Not a gator. A geeter. But what makes sense? A car heater. Wintertime. You're on the corner with all the guys. Freezing. You jump into a guy's car. You say, turn that heater up. Mm -hmm. After five minutes, it's so hot in the car. You say, turn the heater down. <laughs> the parents are saying, turn that guy down. It was the geeter with the heater, heater being on the record. A pleater, the record player. Mm -hmm. Player. And that's how it began. Name of the book, again, is You Only Rock One. Jerry Blavitt, the Geeter with the Heater in the studio with us here. Uh, Jerry goes on then to other iconic radio stations. And I say, I mean, CAM really has its place in the history of broadcasting in Philadelphia because so many great people worked at CAM. You then cross over the river into Philadelphia, work at WFIL. Well, I'll tell you a great story. It's in the book also. WHAT. You got to understand, right. I grew up listening to black music, mm -hmm. okay? Dolly Banks, Dick Clark, who wrote, by the way, uh, the, forward. the forward on this book, called me and said, look, and he became my mentor, by the way, even though I picketed him. I was going to say that. And yeah. I got to tell you a great story about that. When I had Danny the Juniors and we did his TV show, The Little Theater, right. Beach Nut Gum, I'm coming back to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania Station, right. after doing the Saturday night show. Who's coming back? Dick Clark. Now, I was offered money to be his <laughs> head of the committee. He says, Jerry, I want to talk to you. Now, he had the publishing of at the hop. In those days, there was nothing wrong in the 50s for disc jockeys only publishing record companies. Mm -hmm. So he's sitting on the train going back, and I figure this guy's going to give me an airfill right now, mm -hmm. and I may lose my job because he knows I'm, he's involved with that. He says, you know, I got to tell you, you could have been the head of the committee. All of these kids now are national stars. They get fan mail. He said, we offered you double the money that Bob was paying you. 
but you picketed me. I said, Dick, he said, no, no, let me finish. He says, I want you to know, I know if I lose Bandstand today, all of these people who just came over to me from Bob won't be around to go to the new guy. He said, I appreciate the loyalty that you had for Bob Horn. I said to him, and when we got off that train, I said, Dick, you have my loyalty. And we have been friends ever since. And when other disc jockeys in Philadelphia were knocking the heck out of me because they said he doesn't know how to be a disc jockey, Dick Clark would go on television and say, I heard Jerry Blavitt last night on WCAM. He played Twisted Matilda. He played He's So Fine. He played Party Lights. You should hear him. You remember him when he was locally on bandstand here? Mm-hmm. That's how it, this guy really helped me. Wow. So he called Dolly Banks and said, Dolly, you know, you really should hire Jerry Blavitt. So I was the first disc jockey in the city of Philadelphia and Jersey to be on two stations at the same time. That's when I built my studio in my garage mm-hmm. because I would be on CAM from 10 up until 12 and I would be on HAT from 8 to 10. Oh. So I would tape the first half hour for CAM right. so I can get there. <laughs> and that's how it began. Yeah. And I'll tell you another great thing. When I went on the radio back then, they thought I was black. Do you know when the black folks back then found out that the Geeter was white, they picketed the station. <laughs> they picketed the station because it was an all-black station. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So Dolly said to me, I have a problem here. What are we going to do about this? I said, look, we're going to have a big picnic. She had a big outdoor picnic. Mm-hmm. I said, let me get up there and dance, and we're going to make this work. Well, I got up there. It was a all black, and I was the only little white boy up there, man. <laughs> and I was dancing with them and, and chucking and jiving with them. The pickets went down, and Jerry Blavitt was embraced by the community. Loyalty is very, very important to you. I mean, you talk about this this term that is taken for granted so often, but you talk about those people that have been with you from the very beginning. I mean, and, and we're talking not just the, the, the folks that still come out to the record hops, the folks that still listen to you on the radio, but we're talking about some big-name entertainers that, that remain loyal to you. And, and I mean, you, you read in the book about how Don Rickles... Sinatra and Sammy and yeah, all those guys. Mm-hmm. i got to tell you why. You know, as I said, and it all began on bandstand, Paul, because I would have never had the opportunity to be in show business mm-hmm. if I was not the head of that committee. Sammy became a lifelong friend of mine. Through Sammy and through Rickles, I met Frank, I met Dean, and I got to tell you, Larry Kane once said to me, how come these people like you that you're in their inner circle? I said, because I'm not an entourage. I respect their talent. I respect their privacy. And they know that when you're genuine, you're genuine. And I've been blessed to find a passion in an early age, music. I have been blessed to have that guiding light that God gave me, not to deviate from what I wanted to do. 
People have tried to stop me. It's in the book. My competitors used my friendship with people from the neighborhood, my loyalty to a guy by Angelo Bruno and his family. When he died, they said to me, look, you know the press. Please keep them away from the funeral and the burial. We don't want this to be a circus. And Angelo Bruno was a neighborhood person a human being. You never heard him say anything out of line. You never saw him do anything. And his grandkids would swim in my pool. Mm -hmm. I became a part of his family. When my wife and I split, Sue Bruno, my mother grew up with Sue Bruno. They were from the same town in Italy. Mm -hmm. My competitors who couldn't touch me because of my persona. You gotta understand, I was not a format disc jockey. Mm -hmm. All these guys were format disc jockeys working on a 50,000-watt station. My persona was different than what they were doing, and I never wanted to be where they were. I just wanted to do my thing, share my music with my audience. And you must understand, before the Geeter came on the scene, these guys were doing record hops. Mm -hmm. They were doing 300 kids. When Blavitt came on the scene, I was doing... A thousand to two thousand kids, and their record hops were a hundred. So I could understand that competitiveness. But many of them used my <laughs> friendship. I lost the TV show. But when all that other stuff gone down, it, it, it's a very the book is an interesting book because it's about my passion, the ability for me to do it the way I thought it should be done, and to rise above. And that's why I, it's for young people. I want them to read this book. Because young people, when you do find that dream, and if you find that passion, do it, do it with, do it with integrity, do it with dignity, hold your head up high, and when you do the right thing, you don't have to worry about what anybody ever says. Tell what I learned, Paul, about success. Success is wonderful. I share it with my wonderful audience. Though the audience is my second family, but with success comes false friends. Jealousy, envy, greed. It only happens when you're successful, you see. When you're not, nobody gives a boot. Uh, that's, that's an interesting life lesson because today I don't think kids, kids look at success in terms of uh, dollars. They don't know or understand or appreciate everything that comes along with it, positive and negative. And you talked a little bit about, I guess, you know, there were lean years. There's a whole chapter yeah. here dedicated to those lean years that for, you know, being perhaps at the wrong place at the wrong time or being with the wrong people at the, with the, at the wrong time or whatever. And people took advantage of that and tried to bring Jerry Blavitt down. Yeah. You just said something. Young people today, it's about the money. Do you know that I've never gotten paid, and Frank Hogan is in this room, for doing a radio show? I said to management, look, I don't want to get paid. I have a belief in the show that I want to do. Let me do my show. Don't tell me how to do it. You're not paying me. If I'm, the ratings aren't there, if the sponsors aren't there, you got nothing to lose. Right. I've never gotten a dime <laughs> for doing radio. Never. And with my TV show... I put up the money. And it's interesting how Dick Clark was responsible for my TV show. Dick was going out to the West Coast. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we had a going away party for him at the Venus Lounge where mm -hmm. I started to do the radio show. Right. And he says to me with Charlie O'Donnell, he says, Geeter, 
I think that you should make a pilot and give it to WFIL because they're going to need something to replace maybe a weekend show, mm -hmm. a dance show. And at that time, I was doing Ed Hurst's Steel Pier. Mm -hmm. I was doing Summertime at the Pier. So I was pretty popular also on television. So I went out and I put up my own money and I hired the people from WCAU. They're right. all in the book. Great, great people. Great technicians. Did a pilot. Gave it to Lou Klein. Lou Klein said, yeah, we're very interested. They sat on it. Next thing I know, I get a call from Bruce Bryant from WCAU, Al mm -hmm. Hollander. We want to make a deal. We love the show. We don't like the show that was there. We love you. We want to do a show with you. Okay? What do you want to call it? I said, well, these kids are dancing to disc. It's the sound that excites you, the rhythm. Discophonic sound. And we did it. It was a half an hour show. Within two weeks, it went to an hour. I sold the show out to Mountain Dew, sold it out to Lip Brothers. Right. Warner Brothers Seven Arts came in, syndicated the show, 40 markets, did the monkeys, hung out on the <laughs> West Coast with Sammy Davis, hung out with Frank. And that was it. That's how it began. I, and, you know, I recall when you did the episode of The Monkees, because I think every kid in South Philadelphia was glued to the television <laughs> set that night when Jerry Blavitt, because, you know, at that time, we had our own local hometown heroes. Uh, and, and I guess the, the generation of the Frankie Avalons had gone before my generation. Yeah, but yeah. here was somebody that was within our own, you know, we knew Jerry Blavitt. We saw him on television. We saw him on Channel 10 on the yeah. discophonic scene. And now, all of a sudden... There he is with the monkeys on television. Well, you know, another thing, by the grace of God, I never wanted to put a suit and tie on and do a TV show behind a podium. I looked like the kids, if you remember. That's right. And there's great pictures, pictures. in the book, uh -huh. okay, mm -hmm. with little Richard and Sammy and, and Sinatra. I mean, so my whole thing was I was one of the kids. Mm -hmm. I thought like them. I felt like them. I danced like them. I, you know, when you really get down to it, the success that I've had is that I've had the freedom to pursue the love that I have. It's about the music. You could, I could be sick, I could be down, but when I get up on that stage and I start to play my music and I see the people smiling and dancing in their 60s, in their 70s, mm -hmm. and I see these young kids picking up Dion and the Geeter and all that, this is what my life is about. This is what my life is about. Not the negative, you know, not, not all of the bumps that I've had because I've had the freedom and God has given me the health and the strength and the tenacity to cut it. I've always said this, God gives you a lemonade, squeeze it, you make lemonade. That's it. You get the lemon, squeeze it, make lemonade. I'm going to quote from the last paragraph of your book. The other day, someone asked me what I was up to. It was a guy from the old neighborhood. We've known each other forever. Me, I said, it's the same since I was 13, working every day, doing what I've always loved to do, and hoping to make a difference in people's lives. He smiled and went on his way. It's a true story. Mm. It's a true story. You know, we all have aches and pains. America will never be the same. You're the last of what you do on radio back then. Kids would call me with their problems. I would play music for them. If you were going with a girl and you didn't know how to express yourself, you called the Geeter and you say, Yo, Geeter, make this song, request this for Rita. <laughs> I love you for sentimental reasons. That's all gone. America will never be the same. But this book will take you back in time. That's why the great period pictures today or the great TV pictures 
period time. People want to go back to a better time. I take them away a couple of hours a night to a different world, a world of music and dancing and having fun. You only rock once. Jerry Blav at the Geeter with the Heater. What a pleasure this has been. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. You've been listening to Studio 89.7, a monthly program that focuses on newsmakers, celebrities, and authors. Please tune in on the second Saturday of every month at 9 a.m. for another edition of Studio 89.7, only on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM.